Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I thought we were going to talk about aliens. I thought you were going to say, Michael, you are right. I, after the whole hearing and all the stuff, look at that. Vindicated. I thought that's what we were going to talk about. Yeah. I don't know what you were right about in the in the uh, Senate hearing. You know. How did you get proved true? Didn't they pretty much confirm that it was demonic? Isn't that what they said? No, but I heard that they no. there was, there were some reports that they were having to entertain uh, interdimensional possibilities. Thank you. I mean, been saying that the whole time. To be clear, I also said this could be something totally explainable. We put it in two realms. There could This could be something totally explainable, another technology, that kind of thing, or... And so, I think that's... Weather balloon. I think that's vindicated. It's either a weather balloon it is or not it's a, a we- demon. It is not... <laughs> That's the that's the options. <laughs> Makes total sense. It's either a weather balloon or a demon. I like it. I think that should be the title of this episode: weather balloons some, and demons. Some, some some demons come masked in light. Some come looking like weather balloons, <laughs> splashing into the ocean near uh, U.S. naval fleets. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Yeah, that's good. So we're not talking about that is what you're telling me. I I, I did not come prepared to talk about uh, demon UAPs. No, okay. I didn't. All right. Well, what else you got? <laughs> so, <laughs> so church membership. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, okay, so here, you know, in all reality, what we're talking about here when we're talking about church membership it's actually a connection between two different realms that's basically the point yes which is my whole purpose in bringing that up this morning was just a great segue into what we were talking about you are not that sharp this morning (laughs) i'm not gonna even give you that (laughs) good try though good try that, I'm gonna. That was me cleaning up how you started <laughs> this conversation. That, let's be clear. Uh, you're Fair you're enough. welcome. All right. Good deal. <laughs> but I think I, I, over the years, I increasingly. I mean, I I the more I study the Bible, the more important church m- discipline and church membership become. And I'm concerned that. I, I could be viewed as one of those guys who, you know, a nine Marxist, I want to be careful uh, how we talk, how we apply, things like that. But uh, reading Revelation, in fact, recently, preaching Revelation, had me thinking about things that Jesus has said in regards to two, two realms that we are a part of as Christians, uh, that heavenly realm in the earthly realm. Mm -hmm. And basically, church membership being an interaction with the two, a connecting of the two. And I've always known that there is 
for Christians the already not yet aspect of we're we're transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son transferred out of darkness so we are citizens of heaven by our regeneration we are heavenly now and that we are spiritually alive by the Holy Spirit um, but the heaven and earth aspect of church membership and church discipline are it just keeps getting bigger and bigger mm-hmm. uh, how important it is and, and what it means and and why gathering as a church for members meetings where you bring in members and where you might dismiss members or pass members on to a church down the road is uh, that's heaven's stuff that's heaven's work mm-hmm. it, it is coordinate to uh, what's going on in heaven um, question growing up in church what was your experience of church membership in East Texas Baptist churches important not important practiced not at all what um, it was not important. That is not how it would be stated in the church. The church would tell mm-hmm. you, I think every church would tell you membership is important. Like mm-hmm. as, a, as, a ref, as a reflex, we, is membership important? Yeah, membership is important. Of course it's important. How, do, how is its importance demonstrated in the way that you conduct yourself is different. Mm-hmm. So they would i think everybody would say church membership was important but when it came to um practicing church discipline that wasn't something that was normally done unless the person that was being disciplined was agreed uh, you know was it was agreed upon by everybody that that person should be disciplined so something heinous the guy mm-hmm. commits murder and ends up in prison well we need to discipline mm-hmm. this guy Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or something like really tragic like that. I don't even think adultery would really uh, count as something heinous enough to discipline when I was growing up, like in the churches, my background. Um, normally, they would see it as bad, but they wouldn't attach immediate church discipline process to it, maybe, in practice. Yeah, they would kind of let it play out normally. So, like, you, you a person you know, commits adultery, and then uh, they they would say, well, that was, that was really bad. Well, he doesn't go here anymore, you know, and mm-hmm. he's like, you know, gone or she's gone or whatever. So they, they would go off, you know, to s- some other place, maybe not even go to church anymore or whatever. And, I mean, this literally happened to a deacon in, when I was growing up uh, in, in church. Like, they just sort of uh, left and mm-hmm. ran off on their family. And while they were still a deacon at the church, and and there was really no uh, process that was ever gone through or explained to the congregation, this person's been removed from membership or anything like that, um, they may have done it. You know, they may have wiped his name off the books. Or for all I know, he could show up at a member meeting later on and, you know, vote in the next pastor. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I mean... But it, it certainly wasn't explained or very clear to the congregation. Your, your church right now, when you showed up, is there exercise of church membership? What's that like for you guys? Membership, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so both actually both membership and discipline in our bylaws are spelled out and have been since the day I got here. Well, since before I got here. 
um, pretty well, actually. And um, so the, I think the process, though, is always a, one of constant learning for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Because I think it was common, and it always it has been common at our church, to take in members and to vote on them and that kind of thing, and to send letters out when somebody transfers out to some other mm-hmm. church. But I don't think that the dots were ever put together for what we're doing or why we're doing mm. why we're doing it this way. And mm-hmm. it sort of felt very Baptist. It was like, well, that's what we do as a Baptist church, rather mm-hmm. than no, this is fundamental to who we are as a church. Mm-hmm. It's fundamental to being a church. It's fundamental to our mission that Christ left us with as a, mm-hmm. as a church. And I think that's the piece that so often is missing in a lot of the churches that we grow up in is that membership is something that we do, but it's not really who we are. And mm-hmm. in reality, I think what the Bible is depicting in the church is that it's it, the membership joining the church, being disciplined in the church, being excommunicated from the church in some cases, is fundamental to what you do. We think of it as the Great Commission. That is my, that that's our that's our mission. Well, mm-hmm. that's true. We are to make disciples, but the disciple making process is in church membership. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, that's the thing that I was struck with when we preached through Matthew, was that Matthew sixteen and eighteen are these you know pivotal points right in the middle of the of the book mm-hmm. and but but when what's very clear and we talked we've talked about this at length what's very clear is that the whole book pivots after Jesus makes that statement to Peter in Matthew 16 mm-hmm. uh, or after Peter makes the statement to Jesus I should say in Matthew 16 then Jesus makes a statement to him which indicates that everything has changed in fact after G, after Peter says you're the Christ, the Son of the Living God, Jesus says you're heaven. Uh, you know, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, my Father in heaven. In the very next passage, starting in verse 21, Matthew tells you everything's going to be different now that Peter's just said this, and he says mm-hmm. from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. So, like mm-hmm. from that time on. Jesus begins a different form of ministry with his disciples. And what it culminates in is Matthew 18, where he tells him, this is how the church process is going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, someone sins against you, you take it to them. Two or more, then take it to the church. And if they don't listen even to the church, let them be to use a Gentile tax collector. So in some sense, that, that pivotal moment of church membership in Matthew is really what Matthew is building to that entire first half of the book. Mm-hmm. And then by the end, you realize the process that Matthew's getting us to by the end of this book is helping us to see Jesus' death, cruci- death, burial, and resurrection and ascension and our place in the church as connected. 
Mm-hmm. And this is the disciple making process. So like Matthew's beginning with the end in mind, obviously, and he's setting us up for that ultimate culmination in in twenty eight with those pivot points right in the middle of sixteen and eighteen. Yeah. Sorry, that probably there, there's some not there's some mystery in those passages sixteen and eighteen. Those it's the only place in scripture to my knowledge where anybody, especially uh, Jesus refers to uh, the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Uh, we In our membership class, I always ask what people think that phrase means. And it's kind of a, it's, the, it's probably not the best question to ask because there's a lot of disagreement about it. It's a, it's a very enigmatic kind of te- mm-hmm. passage. It's not uh, it's not easily understood, but when you start putting it in, in its context, it 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 definitely begins to exclude interpretations. Yeah. So like the the idea that the binding and loosing, right? So the passage you referred to, G- Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. Jesus says, "Blessed are you, your Father, who is in heaven." Um, or actually, Jesus says. Uh, flesh and blood didn't get this to you. Uh, my Father who is in heaven did. And then he says, I will give you the keys. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And and I would go back to that passage and say, the whole thing is about earth and heaven. The whole confession is about earth and heaven and the relationship between the two. So like when, when Peter says, uh, when Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? G- Peter's response is extremely important. I've always focused on the Christ. Peter replies to Jesus asking, who are you? Who do you think that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. But then he adds, the son of the living God. Which is like saying, you're from somewhere else. You're not from earth only. You're not just a man. You're the son of God. This whole heaven. thing is coming back to aliens, isn't it? I'm t- you're gonna totally. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. I you're knew you were gonna <laughs> totally. You are gonna tell. You're just like Jedi mind tricking me right now. When I oh I man, preached, I preached. This you're like playing. You're like playing four D chess right now with me. <laughs> right? You're like eight moves I, ahead. I preached this passage in relation, and I said it's like uh, Jesus is an alien. He, he is from <laughs> somewhere else. Um, <laughs> I still, and I still have a job, so I've got it's going great. Um, but Jesus says, in response to that, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Mm-hmm. That's earth. Earth did not reveal this to you. Right. My Father, who's in heaven, right. My Father, who is somewhere else, revealed this to you. The only way that you can know that I'm the Son of the <coughs> Living God is if my Father, the Living God, who is in heaven, revealed. That's heavens. That's information from heaven. Extraterrestrial communication. Yes, you could put you could put it that way if you, if you want to. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. And then Jesus says, uh, "I'll tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." Now, people struggle with that. It, that phrase often gets used 
to all kinds of charismatic nonsense. Uh, I'm binding everything. I pray that God will bind Satan. I pray that God would bind yeah. that car so that I can get that parking spot. I pray that God would bind that spirit. And well, I mean, this is the these are the, these this and eighteen are the two verses that the Catholic Church uses for their uh, papal authority, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, of of sainthood, putting somebody in purgatory, control uh, extreme unction, yeah. the last rites. You know, all of those things are, those are distinctively Catholic doctrines where they use this passage to say what we do, heaven listens to our commands. When we mm-hmm. say X, Y, or Z, heaven goes, sir, yes, sir, and obeys. So yeah, the, the and, Pope and has just like Moses or Jesus spoke for heaven, now the Pope speaks. Yeah. Now the Pope is that person. He has on the, the keys earth, has handed down authority. from Peter. Peter, yeah. Peter has dis, has handed down generation generation, and the Pope is the Bishop of Rome and a theological descendant of Peter. They say, and yeah. so he's he's got the same keys that Peter had there in eighteen, right? And I, I think we're living in an extre- it's such an extreme opposite that we need to realize the church. What what is the church's authority, and how does the church have it? What what is happening in this passage? Is it an, yeah. is it a passage about authority? Because I, I think the opposite people think people think today, and we feel and we function that the opposite is everything is personal autonomy. Yeah, my oh faith yeah. is mine. My affirmation is mine. My church membership is mine. No one can tell me what to do. No one has any authority over me. No one can say anything about me. I don't need anyone right. to say anything about me. Which is and probably 180 degrees from the Catholic Church. So it's right. it's the exact exactly. opposite, facing the exact opposite direction, and equally as as troublesome for the soul. Right. Yep. And we actually lose the biblical application of Matthew 16, 18, and 28. Yeah. So what I'm what I'm getting at is that w- what Peter has said and how Jesus is affirming it is putting Peter and his confession, his right confession, as a connection between heaven's work on earth mm-hmm. and affirming those who are in heaven on earth. Mm-hmm. So that the point for Peter is you have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Peter, you, you don't just have, you know, you're not just calling men to come follow me on earth. You're, you're not just calling men to come follow Jesus and when you have men come follow Jesus, they believe in the Savior and become good boys instead of bad guys. The, no, the point is, you actually have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You, you have the key from where you are now to actually enter into the kingdom of heaven, the other kingdom, the mm-hmm. heavenly kingdom, mm-hmm. the one that is above this one, so to speak. So the idea in keys of kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, is simply saying with whoever comes attracted to this gospel and is affirmed in this gospel that Jesus is the Christ and he is the son of the living God. He's not just an earthly Messiah. He's the son of the living God. Then whatever you attract to Christ in that faith is also affirmed in heaven. Mm-hmm. That that is the entrance into the kingdom of heaven, mm-hmm. and being citizens, becoming the people uh, of God. Mm-hmm. So that there is kind of a 
it's kind of unique in that when when Jesus was on the earth, he was literally son of the living God on the earth. And we are literally the children of God on the earth, no longer children of disobedience, no longer children of wrath, truly have become adopted sons. And so we're, we're now heaven's citizens here on earth. And Jesus is saying that that gospel proclamation, uh, the profession that Jesus is the Christ, you are the son of the living God, is the transfer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. Or evidence the of the transfer. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that the point being, you have, so Peter has that confession. Now, the question becomes, who, who has heaven's authority to make heaven's declarations on the earth about who's a Christian? Who, who, gets to, who gets to have any authority? And I think we're talking about that, those polar opposites between yeah. the Pope only, the church only, and no one. Yeah. Those extremes. Right. And, and I actually, I think um, it would help to maybe back up a little bit, even from mm-hmm. Matthew 16, because like, I think Matthew 16 and 18, the way I see it, is sort of dropping us into the middle of the argument. But mm-hmm. I think what, what's helpful to understand is that Matthew has been setting this up for the entire ha- first half of the gospel. So mm-hmm. when Jesus enters the, the scene— first verse, right? Well, yeah, I mean, so Jesus is set up from the very beginning. The first, I see it as probably about the first three and a half chapters or maybe three chapters is really the introduction to the book Mm -hmm. and where Jesus is set up as the son of Abraham, son of David, right out of the gate. He's set up as the son of God, Emmanuel, God with us in the second half of chapter one. He's set up as the new Moses in chapter two, when Fa- when uh, not Pharaoh, but not Pharaoh this time. This time it's uh, it's um, Herod goes in to try mm-hmm. to kill all the all the babies. He flees to Egypt. He's set up as the new and better Israel as he comes out of Egypt. Matthew says, "Out of Egypt, uh, I, so was fulfilled the prophecy. Out of Egypt, I called my son," which was reference to to Israel back in Hosea. And, and here is Jesus coming out. So he's the new and better Moses. He's the new and better Israel. And what does he do? He, he goes through the river of baptism out into the wilderness for 40 days instead of 40 years, comes back onto the mountain as the new Moses and gives a, uh, basically the Sermon on the Mount, which is, um, which is a commentary essentially on, mm-hmm. hit, on the New Testament understanding of the, the Ten Commandments. And or the law, heaven's morality, right? Heaven's morality, and so, uh, but yeah, he get that's the important part. I think is that what he's what he's doing to the law is he does a lot of you've heard it said, but I say, and what he's and he mm-hmm. even tells them ahead of time, I'm coming to fulfill the law, and not abolish it at all. I'm not doing away with one stroke of it. In fact, I'm upping the ante. And, and so I think the best way to, and there's tons of theories on this and like, there's, I don't want to shortchange any commentary out there. They're all, they're all helpful in some way or another, but I, I, a lot of but people are about to disagree with all, but of I'm them. about to disagree with every single one. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm, I'm really not. I, I think the, the point that he's making at the beginning of, or the middle of five, I guess it is it's kind of more the beginning of five when he says, I think it's about verse 16 to 20 in that range, 17 to 20, I think it is. He says, um, I have n- not come to abolish the law, but to fill the law. Um, and 
there's a lot of questions as to what he means by fulfill it. He could, does he just mean just accomplish the law? And I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I think the law is set up as the very base morality that mm-hmm. that is that is is, and it's founded on heaven's morality. So if mm-hmm. you were to if you were to you and I were to just go to heaven right now and were to mm-hmm. just observe what happens there and the way people act towards one another, what what people do, they would see God's will accomplished perfectly. They would see Mm -hmm. no jealousy, strife, anger, rage, envy, nothing, right? And so the law of Moses is giving the very trimmed down, very rudimentary, very base level of heaven's law, essentially, Mm -hmm. of the morality of heaven. And humanity could not even accomplish that. Jesus is saying, I've come to fuf- not to abolish the law, but to fulfill mm-hmm. the law, meaning mm-hmm. I've come to give the law bigger meaning. I've come to bring heaven's morality down to earth. And what does he say when he comes in at the very beginning of chapter 4? He says, uh, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is coming upon you right now, and its morality is coming to you. And you're going to see you, you need to repent of sin. And so he's laying out, so he goes into the commentary of you've heard it said, but I say to you, and what does he do? He takes the law of Moses, but he gives you the heavenly understanding. So the Mm -hmm. law of Moses was giving you step one, uh, don't kill your brother, all right? Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you the law of heaven is even if you're angry with your brother, that's sin. That's Mm -hmm. evidence of the fall right there in your anger, Mm -hmm. because that's not true Mm -hmm. in heaven. And everybody's going, oh, man. And what does he get to at the end of five? Um, he says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Right? You're, you, so, And he's already told them your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Mm-hmm. So, Because they have Moses' law, right? Well, the, the thing that I think is fundamental to what we're talking about here is when they ask him to pray, they ask him, hey, will you teach us how to pray? What does he say? Our father in heaven. Mm-hmm. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. So this law that he's coming to fulfill, that he's coming to bring down, is heaven's law. And what he's telling them to pray is that you as a group, you people who are following after me, are to seek after the will of God, not as the scribes and Pharisees would teach you, in mere obedience to the law of Moses, you need to seek it to be to do the will of God on earth as it is done in heaven. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of forms the basis of our prayer and our obedience to God. But it's not until really 16 and 18 that we see how that's to be accomplished, how the will of God is to be accomplished. And we get it after we've talked about 16 where... Peter makes his confession, but it's not until chapter 18 that Jesus actually says, which I've got it right here. Let me read it. Jesus Jesus gets in 18, you know, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if 
two of you agree on earth about on anything earth. they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. How is it that we accomplish the will of God on earth? What's together as a church? When you come together and you assert heaven's will in agreement, you're all in agreement that this is the case. You've taken great pains to care for somebody and, and a, a disciple because your charge is to make disciples. You've come together to do that very purpose. And at the, at, at, at the end of this, this person runs off and, and you agree that this person is not a disciple of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's how you know. That, that's the will, the will of, of heaven right there. How do we accomplish the will of heaven? Well, it's when the church comes together on mission, in agreement, arm in arm for the gospel, making disciples, and you agree on a disciplinary action on this person. That's how you know. You're, you're all mm-hmm. in agreement together. That's how you know. That's the will of heaven. So the, really, Matthew's been building this whole thing from the very beginning and, to get to this point. Yeah. And I, and I don't remember, it's been a while since I looked at it, but when he says it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, there's a lot of people are tempted to think that we could kind of, uh, when you do this on earth, then it's going to be replicated back up in heaven. Yeah, well, we that, kind of control. That, def- that defies the Lord's prayer, where he says, we're praying right. that we'll do the Lord's will on heaven, not right. that he'll do, not that it will be done in heaven as it is done on earth. It's the opposite. Yeah. So you have to read that in light of the Lord's Prayer, I think. Right. And the Greek is kind of like, it It will have been being done, kind <laughs> of a Greek statement. Yeah. And the, the point is that it's coordinate. Yes. And that there is an outpost, there is an embassy here uh, that exercises and recognizes uh, heaven's authority on the earth. And... Uh, there's there's a conjunction between Jesus's being from heaven, having authority on earth, then Jesus giving horizontally his authority to the church to continue and extend out in their mm-hmm. ministry on the earth, so that what you do on the earth is a mirror and reflects uh, heaven's authority. Yeah, and it all and and the way it shows up in that Matthew 16 passage is that it's it's on the who is this guy. Who is Jesus? Yeah. And uh, it comes to that point, uh, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? But those who doubted Jesus, they were also trying to figure out who Jesus was. And you get that question in John a lot. Who who are you? Who do you say that you are? Who is your father? John 8, they asked him, where is your father from? (laughs) (laughs) Where is your father from? I mean, what a question to ask to ask, what is strange? Who asked that? Um, the the implications are profound, and that's the passage where Jesus later on says, "You know, before Abraham was, I am," mm. and is that everyone knows he just claimed to be one with God. There's yeah. no way you could say that, and it was blasphemous. Yeah. So Jesus has heaven's authority, and what you're getting at in Matthew 18 is that you have this whole movement. And it comes down to practice and function in continuation after Jesus' resurrection in the ministry of the local church to one another. Yeah. 
and to admitting Christians in because the I- yeah. the idea that when someone refuses to listen to even the church and you treat them as a Gentile tax collector that is someone who is outside uh, that and then you attach that binding and loosing language to it it's it's saying that the church has heaven's authority to declare clarify and affirm those who are followers of Jesus on the earth right make declarations about those who are in heaven on earth now we've talked many times before about how that can never be perfect no right there will be people who go uh, out of us get, and they're not from us yeah they they uh, were never Christians to begin with uh, we've had people leave our church and leave the faith come into our church under my ministry be baptized here leave the faith never even not even claiming to be Christians anymore uh, and remove them we've had people who uh, are members of our church who I wonder sometimes uh, what the state of their soul is and I'm sure that there are people who are not members of churches who are Christians who are truly converted absolutely and truly saved by faith in Christ and I think that becomes a difference uh, between uh, the personal autonomy extreme and the Catholic extreme. Absolutely. Which, where is, we will say this is about uh, functional clarity for your confidence, and this is about testimony to the world, about the, the clarity of what actually is the gospel, what does it actually mean to be a Christian, so that the church's witness is true about heaven on the earth. Right. And without saying, well, you can't be a Christian unless we say so. Right. Well, that's not what we're saying. Right. That That's not the application of Matthew 18. Yeah. It becomes—there it, are applications, though, however, for confidence. If you're a member of a church that is preaching the gospel of Christ, preaching God's Word faithfully, and they admit you, and they're practicing church membership and discipline, and they admit you into their membership— then you can have great confidence sure. in your faith. Yeah. And the farther you are in proximity from that, uh, the less confidence you really you should have. Yeah. Y- you should have. Yeah, the, I think the the good a good illustration. This is not original to me. Um, it might even be Lehman that uses the example of a passport mm-hmm. that yeah, as as an embassy of the kingdom of heaven, the church stamps the passport but doesn't create the passport. Mm-hmm. So the Catholic Church would kind of, I think, I don't want to unfairly represent their point of view, but um, I think they would say that they create the passport and that um, that your passport isn't isn't created, maybe it would be better stated this way, your passport isn't created without papal, papal approval. Mm-hmm. Um, but... We would say about the church, but that doesn't just because we reject that notion doesn't mean that the church then has no authority. We would say the church stamps or authenticates the passport. That's our job. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. we don't create it; the Spirit creates it. That's yeah. solely the Spirit, God, God Absolutely. through His Spirit's job. Um, but we have a responsibility as a church of stamping the passport, checking it for authentication and making mm-hmm. sure that this is a true uh, spirit-created passport. And we mm-hmm. see fruit in the li- in your life. We see repentance of sin. We see 
um, you know, a host of other things, a confession, right, and uh, desire to live a life consecrated to the Lord, a life of holiness. And so we, you know, authenticate the passport and say this to us looks just like a uh, passport that the Spirit creates. And Mm -hmm. in the event that it was a really good fake, you know, and we discover that later on, we have Mm -hmm. the responsibility of taking the passport and shredding it, you know, Mm -hmm. and saying that's a fake. That's not, that's not real. And I think that's a helpful way of getting at the distinction. Or it's possible that someone would would die and go to, to their grave and get a, a solid funeral uh, with the hopes of their church and go to meet God in judgment. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's that it's possible. never found out. Yeah, um, it, It's possible that, you know, like the thief on the cross, you know, Jesus didn't say, hey, listen, we're going to do a really, really quick membership class, and then we're going to take a vote to the guy on the, you know, the thief on the cross. Right. You know, like, just give me a minute. There's two of us. You know, John, can right. you can we just get two or three up here right. to just really quickly give this guy on the cross? No, Jesus said today through faith in me, yeah. uh, you'll be with me in paradise. So it's it's almost like I, I I think we we will probably see in judgment and in eternity that God is one far more gracious and merciful than we ever could have imagined, mm-hmm. and two far more holy than we could ever have imagined, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I th- so I think that what we'll find is that on that day that mm-hmm. there are people that uh, like ourselves that, that are mm-hmm. we since we know all of our all of our goods and our bads, you know, all of our warts that when we get there, we'll realize he was far more gracious and merciful to me than I ever could have imagined, mm-hmm. you know, and and yet at the same time, you know, his <clears throat> his justice is is such that no one could have ever passed pass the test in and mm-hmm. of themselves mm-hmm. but he god is so jealous for his name mm. i mean another thing that's showing up here is a biblical theme from old through new testament god does not take lightly the people his people taking on his name and then doing so in vain right that's what it means to take the name the, the name of the lord in vain in the ten commandments it's right. not cursing god's name when you stump your toe although i would not advise that as well it means you take on god's name israel says okay we hear the law we'll do the law okay you're our god we'll follow you take us to the promised land and then they go live in sin and idolatry that's taking the name of the lord on yourself and doing it in vain yeah and i think you could generalize that principle of saying i'm applying the lord's name to something that he did not authenticate Right, mm-hmm. so like a false prophet would also be taking the Lord's mm-hmm. name in vain. He is sure. he is coming to say that he's representing God, and God did not say that, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the same principle that would apply to exactly what you're talking about, but it's also the same principle that would apply to the person who stubs his toe in the dark and mm-hmm. uses, sure. you know, or calls God's name as a curse. He's applying God's name to something that God did not authenticate, you know, right? So and and Mark Devers said it this way: you can find church membership on every page of the Bible, and I don't think that's just because Mark Dever reads the Bible like that. It's because the in and the out, and God giving Israel the authority through through circumcision and through the law to put people in and out of the people, because they do not represent God and His holiness, and therefore they lie to the nations about who God is. 
Mm-hmm. When when they live in such gross sin, I mean, God yeah. eventually comes Himself and destroys His own temple, His own temple on the earth. I mean, just what God mm-hmm. does that mm-hmm. He destroys His own temple. He leaves it, lets it be destroyed by by Babylon, because it is unholy and it does not represent Him. Right. And He will not give His glory to anyone else. He's so jealous. And when you get to Matthew 18, you have Jesus say, where two or three are gathered in my name, in my name. You're, you're under my authority. My name is on your passport. And specifically, Heaven that's the church. Passport. Like huh? he, and specifically, that's the church in that context. He mentioned exactly. it. Yeah. When, when the church is gathered under my name, there I am among them. And I'm telling you, in, in a Socratic method, asking questions what do you guys think this means in our church membership classes almost every time when we do a a basic discussion let them answer questions those in our church membership classes get to matthew 18 20 and i say what does it mean for where two or three are gathered in my name there i am among them and typically that verse has been used to mean hey let's get some christians together go to the coffee shop and when two or three of us get together jesus is going to let's get a fourth chair for jesus because he's going to come too and, and we're going to isn't it great that jesus is with us isn't it great well jesus is well, with us we do have that that's, promise that's the, 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 ex, the kind of i guess proof texting that people use to kind of me and jesus out on a boat you know yep. get somebody else out there on a boat with me on sunday we're fishing and jesus is yep. there among us yep and that's my church there's there my church out there's there my church that's how i worship and but people come up with it. They realize this is about authority. Yeah. Jesus is saying, I'm there. Mm-hmm. You have my authority. It's mm-hmm. as if I am there. And you have my authority to exercise this. You have the keys of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. You are the the coordinating relationship between what is in heaven and what is in earth. Mm-hmm. The kingdom of heaven and the, and the kingdom of earth. You're, you are uh, part of the connection between the two. And I just it, once you start to see that heaven and earth relationship, it shows up so many other places, mm-hmm. from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, this last week, I was thinking about this quote. Let me see if I can find it. Um, a guy named Samuel Amadi wrote a great um, uh, did a great article on the biblical theology of heaven and earth, and kind of the relationship. Uh, between the two and uh, he gives a good intro definition to the relationship between uh, heaven and earth let me see if I can find it here he says a biblical theology of heaven begins in the first verse of the Bible God creates the heavens and the earth while quote heavens often simply refers to the sky Genesis 1 20 though at scripture it also refers to God's holy realm his special abode populated with righteous angels. The heavens and the earth in Genesis 1, therefore, is a word pair delineating the entire created order, a created order that houses two distinct realms, heaven and earth. And when you get to, uh, I know you're thinking alien stuff right now. I know you are. And then, But when you get to the book of Revelation, what we see is heaven actually comes down to earth. This, the new city, Jerusalem, comes down out of God, down to the earth, so that there's no, no longer a separ- separation of, of these realms. And we're not there yet. There is still a heaven and there's still an earth, 
and there's some citizens of heaven on the earth, but they're two very distinct places. Mm-hmm. And Jesus and his his life and ministry is coming from heaven. He is of heaven. He is the son of the living God, and he's on mm-hmm. the earth establishing. Mm-hmm. It, it's like traveling to a new country and saying, bam, this is our country's embassy. And now they have authority to be our country in, in a new land. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jesus was doing for heaven, and that's the authority of the of the church throughout is to continue to to affirm uh, new citizens of the kingdom of heaven by preaching the gospel that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. Mm-hmm. And as Jesus began to teach in Matthew 16, immediately, as soon as they realized that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, he began to teach that he was going to go be crucified. Mm-hmm. And Peter said, that's ridiculous. I'll never let that happen. Because it didn't make sense yet. The son of the living God wasn't coming to destroy everyone. He was coming to save mm-hmm. by his death for our sins and by his... Uh, resurrection but that relationship between heaven and earth shows up in Matthew 28 as well when Jesus gets to what we call the Great Commission and he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and I think typically when I read that in the past I just take it as kind of a generic all the authority (laughs) has been given to me you know I'm I'm just authoritative over the, the galaxies and um, earth and everything under the earth and all the nations and but Jesus is saying some he's speaking about two specific places all authority I, I have heaven's authority and I have earth's authority mm-hmm. I have both I don't mm-hmm. just have one or the other mm-hmm. I actually have I am the combination of both mm-hmm. and I'm telling you go with heaven and earth's authority to make disciples of all nations mm-hmm. and baptize them into the name that's how I say into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so that you become heaven's heaven's people mm-hmm. on the earth and you got heaven's authority to do that that's mm-hmm. kind of the last in Matthew at least that's the last kind of paragraph of the Magna Carta if you will the authority to go and do heaven's business here on earth with the gospel in your hand yeah, yeah, and and I think too the Matthew twenty eight, the Great Commission makes so much sense in light mm-hmm. of Daniel seven, and when you see the one coming on the clouds of heaven, one riding on the clouds, gaining that authority from the Ancient of Days, who places the crown on his head but removes it from the beast. Now you get into Revelation. And that's why, you know, I was preaching through Matthew. You've been preaching through Revelation for like equally as long, but you've only done about 10 sermons in Revelation, I think. Isn't it, isn't it like? There's I'm almost <laughs> done. I'm almost home. I'm almost home. We just started singing a new song. I'm oh, I love home. that I'm song. Start singing it. You I'm started singing Almost Home? Revelation. Did y'all start doing Almost Home? Last week we did. We're oh, going to do it again this week. I'm so jealous. I love that song. It's so mm-hmm. good. Matt Boswell, good. man. So good. Uh, so, I think we didn't we sing that at T for G. Mm-hmm. That's oh, what so it. good. Good yeah. grief. Um, but I digress. So uh, we, you know, I've, I was preaching through Matthew. You were preaching through Revelation some, and, uh, <laughs> and we there was so much overlap between the two mm-hmm. because I mean, essentially, you're seeing heaven come to earth in Matthew, and Jesus being given the 
crown of authority from the ancient of days and the crown of authority being stripped from the mm-hmm. beast mm-hmm. and in revelation you're seeing the beast's activity still mm-hmm. and you know even though he has a mortal wound he's walking around as though he's not dead mm-hmm. and then even for a little while he's given back some permissions i wouldn't mm-hmm. say call it necessarily authority but he's given permission to mm-hmm. do a lot of activity there towards the end of revelation and uh, specifically with what kind of what we talked about last week a little bit and um and so you know there's so much overlap between matthew and revelation you know it's almost like mm-hmm. it's almost like matthew is kind of setting out a gospel to go i'm gonna i'm gonna connect mm-hmm. all of the old testament to revelation mm-hmm. you know to to kind of the church's mission between now and the time jesus returns mm-hmm. and he's done i mean the, the that's that's exactly i think what the book of matthew really is is setting out the church's course from here on out until Jesus returns, you know, mm-hmm. and it is yep. to enact that heavenly authority in the absence yet presence of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. a that's kind of where we live. We live in a mm-hmm. place where there is a, the absence of Jesus, but we're really the presence of Jesus, mm-hmm. and we're demonstrating that presence here in our activity, mm-hmm. in our action, and we're yeah. to act as He would act. Yeah, which is, he, which is, which is, that's a lot, you know, yeah. that's, that's, there's a lot of, a lot to that. Have you, have you read, is it, uh, uh, Graham Goldsworthy's, mm-hmm. uh, biblical theology kingdom, what's it called? Kingdom gospel or something like that. There's you several Graham about? Goldsworthy books that I've read and I, I don't remember the title of them all. They're all similar, I think in terms of title. They all say, it's like Piper's book. They all say the same thing. Yeah. 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 He's great though. I mean, he's, he's really is good. So he, he, him, and in that book, and uh, Kingdom Through Covenant. Yeah. By David Gentry and Stephen Wellham are, yeah. are bed buddies. Uh, the trilogy is, yeah, it's a Gospel and Kingdom. And in there he says, everything God is doing from Genesis to Revelation is about people, place, rule, and blessing. Yeah. And you have this in Genesis, you have this in Israel. You have it in the church, you have it in Revelation. People, God's people, and God's place, God's rule, and God's blessing. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Kingdom Through Covenant, Gentry and Wellham work through this as a, um, a biblical theology that's trying to sift through covenant theology and dispensationalism and try to, basically, how does the Bible, how does it all fit together? How can the Bible be one big book doing the same thing from Genesis to Revelation? And not these pieces and parts where God's someone different doing something different in in all of the covenants and all the sections. Right. And that's his answer. People, place, rule, and blessing. God is always doing those, and every covenant is about progressively uh, revealing and expanding the kingdom, like that mustard seed which is planted but grows into a great tree. Mm-hmm. And in the in the gospel, in hearing the gospel, and in the church, what are we doing? We are. It's about people and rule. This is about the people coming into the kingdom. Mm-hmm. This is about the people coming in by the keys that Peter had the confession itself that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. When people become Christians, they become the people of God. Mm-hmm. But we are not yet in God's place. The place isn't here yet. This mm-hmm. is a foreign, exiled earth 
that we right. are on. It's right. out of heaven. It's just like people are outside the city uh, and outside of Israel physically. Right. Uh, when they are put out of the people of God, we are outside God's city. We're outside heaven right now. And, and that's where you get made citizens. And that's where every Revelation is answering that question, Revelation 21 and 22, where God's people, place, blessing, and rule all becomes one place, time, people, really for the first time since the garden. And better and more sure and more eternal than, than the garden. And that it just makes church membership and the extension of the authority between heaven and earth so important, so important. It is not simply pushing paperwork to show up at a members meeting and bring in a member into your church and affirm their faith or to discipline someone and say, we cannot affirm your faith. I mean, it, it, it is part of the interaction between heaven and earth until Jesus comes back and heaven and earth are one place. It, it is so huge, so huge that it, it's not it's not even just about, well, you know what, some churches practice membership and discipline and, and others don't. No, no, no. We're... we're you and I are saying what we think the Bible is saying, that this is part of the relationship between heaven's people and heaven and earth. That this is not just a, a church function. This is not just one option of how to structure your church, but that this is the heart of uh, being the people of God and what he has called us to do and what it means to baptize someone in front of our whole church in the world to tell them and tell the world this guy belongs in heaven mm. he's heaven's child mm. we, we think that he's a Christian that he's been he's transferred kingdoms mm. he's not just an earthly man anymore mm. he's a spirit filled born again man I mean what are, wow wow and, here, and here's a, here's an application I would say too. The we we live in a culture and we live in a generation right now that is so grossly consumeristic that we look at the church like we shop everywhere else, and we get we we look at the church like people look at Tinder. I've never been on Tinder. I only know about it from reading about it. But you, 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 you look at a picture, oh, that friend doesn't work, that date doesn't work, that person doesn't look. You, you swipe right to the next person. And you just keep swiping till you find someone that fits your taste, that fits your appeal. And so often in the church, we've got people not connecting with the church because they think of the church like that. They think of the church as a place to go find people um, like me, in worldly affinity ways. People who are my age, people who have kids, people who do my vacation stuff, people who are on the same soccer team, people who um, dress the same, people who are in the same financial bracket, people who go eat at the same places, people who live in the same part of town. And we that is so grossly far. And, and so when I, and, and I hear, I've heard this over the years in our church 
people feeling disconnected. And there is a truth to not being connected in fellowship, feeling far from people. <laughs> but the way, the primary way that we connect as a church is through our shared citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. We are so connected already, you don't even know. You don't even know how connected we are if we are actually in Christ together. Yeah. And so when we look at one another as an, that person is a citizen of heaven, that person is a son of the living God, that person is born again by the Spirit and has been transferred to the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the beloved Son. Guess what? We're connected. Yeah. And it becomes about not do I feel connected in the church, but am I enjoying fellowship with my brothers and sisters? And am I dealing with sin and pride and selfishness in a way that enjoys? Am I, am I living heaven's ethic, Matthew 5 through 7? in a way that allows me to enjoy all of the blessing and fellowship that comes with being with the people of God. Yeah. Singing, preaching, praying, membership, discipline, sharing burdens and troubles. That That, that is our connection yeah. at its roots. And it gets worked out in all kinds of ways, knowing each other, praying for each other, spending time together, eating together. Um, but that that's, that's our connection. And it's it's a formal one first yeah and, and imagine and then it becomes friendly imagine so then the the what is spoiled when inside a church there is infighting for any reason mm-hmm. Th- you're taking the heavenly culture and you're attempting to spoil it with sin and mm-hmm. what we're seeing in Revelation and what you see throughout, uh, I think, Scripture is the heavenly community is is going to, in the end, be completely absolved of that. Or, or I shouldn't mm-hmm. absolved is not the right word, but completely, yeah. that's going to be completely cleansed. eradicated, cleansed. Mm-hmm. Um, no unclean thing will ever enter it. And so yeah. if we're to model that here, then the the sinful activity within the body has to be dealt with. That's mm-hmm. our job. That's mm-hmm. what we're doing. That is the discipleship process. As a mm-hmm. group, as a church, we are in the process of pushing sin to the margins and getting mm-hmm. rid of it. Mm-hmm. And and not and and at the same time desiring not to lose the people to push mm-hmm. the sin away and to keep the mm-hmm. people close. And mm-hmm. so that the sin is pushed out and the people don't go with it. But in, in mm-hmm. some cases, if and that's only true, obviously that can only really happen is if the person is born again, spirit bought, mm-hmm. you know? And and so you can imagine what, what then is spoiled in a church when there's, you know, infighting or, or whatever is that it, it's the, the heavenly community is ruined. And it's it's ruinous to the entire mm-hmm. city that you dwell in, right? The, there's, mm-hmm. the people that are lost can't observe what heaven is like, and that that's mm-hmm. a I, I think that's what we lose sometimes too. Is like you're pointing to discipleship, and and 
comfort in the body, uh, 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 security, uh, knowing, uh, having some confidence that you're born again, is that you're a member of the body, and all of those things are true. I would say also, membership, proper church membership and discipline is an evangelism tool that people are going to hear your gospel. They're going to hear you say, uh, this is what Christ has done. This is what Christ has done for me. This is what Mm -hmm. Christ has done for my brothers and sisters. And then they're Mm going to come in and they're going to watch it. Mm -hmm. And what they want to see is that what you just told them out on the street is true. Mm -hmm. And they want to see it right here with people that are born again. They want to see people giving and sharing. They want to see people Mm -hmm. holding everything in an open hand. They want to see people who are not not worried about what they see on TV. They want to see people who understand that yeah. what their life's purpose is and that they're not that they they don't turn on the TV and they huddle up in a corner and and cower in fear that mm-hmm. they want to see a people that when persecution rises they stand because they know who, who whose they are they know where they're mm-hmm. going for eternity they but, they want to see people who who really do trust in the sovereignty of God mm-hmm. they the they want to see that the gospel that, is true yeah and an application too for us is that we we are trying to eradicate sin, but there's also a temptation to kind of be Puritan-ish in a, in a legalistic way where we actually think we can perfect a society here right. on earth like it will be perfected in heaven. Right. We cannot. In heaven, there won't be forgiveness. Right. We're not going to be forgiving each other. We're not going to be practicing right. forgiveness. Right. But you will find in almost every New Testament epistle to the local church the command to forgive one another. Right. This is a place where we are constantly forgiving each other because we and, constantly sin against each other. And ironically, that's how the human human church displays the glory of God is mm-hmm. in forgiving one another. Mm-hmm. In in not just and I, 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 the sermon that I preached this past week is not just burying the hatchet or agreeing to disagree. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. saying we come together because we are both bought by the Lord. We agree, and that's what Paul urges Syntyche and Euodia in Philippians Mm -hmm. 4, verse 2, to agree Mm -hmm. on. He says, agree in the Lord, meaning you may not see eye to eye on all the particulars. Mm -hmm. You may never see eye to eye on all the particulars, but come together in the Lord that our agreement is in Christ, and we don't just agree to disagree. We don't just bury mm-hmm. the hatchet. We celebrate mm-hmm. that we are both bought by the Lord. One of us may be right. One of us may be wrong. We may both be wrong, all right? Mm-hmm. But we agree mm-hmm. in the Lord. Our, our, mm-hmm. our unity is in the Lord, and, and that's what I'm getting at. That's what people want to see is that, hey, wait a minute. Even though I am imperfect, even though I am a sinner, even though you're a sinner and you're imperfect, these two can come together and they can be, they can have a unity, they can have a, a, a love for one another, they can share forgiveness with one another that I don't see anywhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, that it is normal, it is perfectly normal in our world to say, I don't agree with that person, I cut them out of my life forever. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're dead to me. And yeah. that is not what you find in the church. Right. You know, in that fact, is not what you, you have... should find in the church. When Jesus is introducing church membership and discipline, we get all worked up about you know the the fact that we could possibly ever remove anyone from the church. Right. The passage before it is the ninety nine, yeah. the shepherd, you know, leading the ninety nine to go find the one. How loving is that? That's true. That's how church membership works. Yeah. That's an application of church membership. The passage after it is where uh, Peter 
ask Jesus, okay, I heard your church membership spiel about heaven and earth, and, you know, if your brother sins against you and he, he comes back, you've gained a brother. And here's, what, here's Peter's application question. Okay, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? How many times do we do this? How many times does a brother sin against me and I just, you know, for, forgive him? How many, how many times do we let heaven authority on earth in regards to church membership actually continue to forgive people? And, G, you know, and you know, Peter's question is like, you know, like 70 times, seven times, you know? Said, would that be a perfect number, Jesus? And Jesus multiplies it times 10 by itself to say 490. No, not 490. Quit counting. You, you just keep forgiving. And that is an, a wonderful, helpful encouragement about what it means to be a part of a church. It's not a place where I mean, heaven has all this authority and you're a church member and you can't sin because you've got God's name. And, and if you do, we're, we're removing you because we're so jealous for God's glory. And we're so jealous for his holiness and perfection. No, the way that we are jealous for his holiness and perfection is you repent of your sin. We forgive you for your sin and we stay in fellowship because that's the gospel of heaven to mm-hmm. us. Yes. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Yeah. Paul says. Yeah, you're heaven literally enacting the gospel. You're acting it out. Yep. You heaven forgave us and invited us back in upon our repentance. We exercise the same. So practicing church membership is evangelism. Yes. It's yes. a message to the world like you said. Yes. It's evangelism, it's discipleship and and honestly so much is lost when we fail to practice it. And it's mm-hmm. it's such that a, a unbeliever could not sit on your back row and describe it. They couldn't mm-hmm. say, "This is what's wrong here," but yeah. they know it. They know that something in here does not match the gospel that you preach. Mm-hmm. You know, and the gospel that you preach is one of forgiveness and justice, mm-hmm. and mercy and grace, and also holiness. Mm-hmm. And all of those things have to be held in balance inside the church. Mm-hmm. And so there, there uh, you know, the, the justice is in confrontation with sin, holy confrontation with sin. But where's the mercy and the grace on the other side? There's the forgiveness on the other side. I mean, mm-hmm. a billion times if your brother comes mm-hmm. back and says, I repent, you forgive him, right? Mm-hmm. So... It, it, it's there's the, there's that on the other side so it's it, but then it's also not compromising the holiness of God someone fails mm-hmm. to repent does not repent does not want to repent let mm-hmm. him be to you as a Gentile or tax collector you have no mm-hmm. responsibility to do that too so it's all mm-hmm. held in balance and and I think striving towards church health in membership and in discipline mm-hmm. is is you know it's evangelistic it's the way disciples are made mm-hmm. it is and and it's only by God's grace that we can all do it completely imperfectly and yet mm-hmm. somehow disciples are still made and mm-hmm. somehow people still come to, to know Jesus because mm-hmm. we are completely imperfect vessels trying mm-hmm. to strive toward what you know God has laid out for us in his word and mm-hmm. even though we do it imperfectly there are still people that come to Christ there are still people mm-hmm. that grow um, mm-hmm. But people it, that are affirmed, I feel I feel that way about our yeah. membership meetings as a church. Even when we're bringing members in and out, sometimes it feels like we're kind of fumbling a little bit. We're like we're we're 
you know, we uh, we're, we're running a good play, but you know, the quarterback dropped the ball for a minute, and then he picked it back up. We're trying to, you know, figure out how to do this perfectly. Um, but I will say, increasingly, um, I think over time, our church has come to love member meetings hmm. because they love bringing in members and they respect and love the seriousness of what it means to be in a church and Mm. affirmed. Mm. So you actually look forward to it as much or more as you look forward to gathering with the church and your public service Mm. gathering. It's the application of Matthew 16, 18, and 28. Mm. And uh, I love it. I love member meetings. Yeah. Let's end it there. Good talk. I I love member meetings. That's the great. Let's end it there. Maybe that's the title. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. See you next week. See you. Thanks for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast.